Out on the farm, based on the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. During the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at different images or pictures which concern the church and our part within the church. All of these pictures have been taken from the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. The first was a building site, building on foundation, which is Christ, and how we need to take care in the materials that we choose and how we build. Last week, we spoke of the image of the old warship and how we were under rowers, below deck, under rowers, following the beat of the captain into battle. Next week, uh, I want to be looking at the body of Christ, which is another, it's probably the most enduring of the images of what the, the body of Christ is, what the church is. But this morning, we move to the farm and uh, to address some issues with livestock and crops out in the paddock. Now, the church at Corinth was founded by the Apostle Paul. It was very much loved dearly by the Apostle Paul, but the love was sort of an unrequited love where they didn't always feel the same way or most didn't feel the same way about him and they probably didn't feel the same way even with each other. The thing is that when we, we, we need to remember that when we read the epistles, and in particular some of the epistles from the Apostle Paul in, in, the, in the New Testament, it's, it's a little bit like listening to a phone conversation but only from one side. So say your, your wife or your husband is on the phone and you're only hearing one side of the conversation. You don't know what the other person is, is saying. So then you, you ask them, what was all that about? And I, I suppose in, in some way this is what is happening here in the, in the epistle that we're trying to understand what, what is all that about. We, we only hear one half of the story based upon the response that the Apostle Paul gives in, in his letter. And we're trying to figure out the other side of the story. Our passage for today is one such case. And we're trying to figure out. So let's start with the nature of the problem as we see it from verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And on the farm, you might be amazed at this, but you actually expect things to grow. If they don't grow, there is a problem somewhere that needs to be addressed. These applies to both crops, it applies to livestock. Because you see, I know that for us city folk, we go out for a drive and spend a weekend in a farm and all that type of stuff and we take pretty pictures. I like to hang around and pat the cows and feed the cows and all of that, but in most farms out there, there are actually people living, that they had to make a living out of this. 
there is an expectation that the that they will be sustained by what the farm produces. Now, when Paul refers to the Corinthians as mere infants in Christ, he's not being entirely negative about it. He reassures them that he still sees them as Christians, but only, they're still Christians, but they're still immature. They're still in elementary school, preschool even. The imagery of infants is both attractive and unattractive, isn't it? It is the same in the animal kingdom with calves and young lambs. Yes, the little cutie little things when they're little, but eventually they grow up. You expect them to grow up. church at Corinth, the type of conflict that has been happening has been destructive. So he could have used harsh language by calling those who are involved in causing conflict, he, called them, he could have called them wild dogs or, or foxes or others that, that go about and destroy livestock. However, he softens the language by using an image that most people find non-threatening. Babies. Babies. There is something lovable about babies, isn't there? So cute. They might be selfish, demanding, but also very innocent and cuddly. All gooey, all the mums go gooey, all about babies and all that. A baby who behaves like a baby is a joy. But you expect them to grow, mature. An older child or even an adult that behaves like a baby is tragic. But we see a lot of it. The only thing I've still to see is in, a, in, a, uh, in the supermarket aisle an adult sort of chucking a tantrum, you know, frothing at the mouth and all that type of stuff in the, in the supermarket aisle. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Just like my experience is taking the kids shopping. It's a tragedy. You can put up with it when they're kids, but if they're adults... If this is true on a physical level... It is also true on the spiritual level because it was entirely appropriate for the Apostle Paul to feed, to give these young Christians at Corinth spiritual milk, not meat, when he was among them. For they were very young Christians. They, they came from a non-Christian background, a pagan background. It was, and God did something marvellous in their lives. They were converted. They came to Christ. And so he, he founded the church in Corinth. He was there for 18 months and, and these people came from, you know, he had to start teaching them from scratch all the fundamental issues of the gospel. Now, after Paul departed for another mission field, came Apollos. Apollos, who served as a pastor of the Corinthian church for several years. Apollos like Paul, was a 
a good teacher. He had Paul's trust to continue the work of teaching these Corinthians. He was a great orator, a good speaker. So, one would have expected these spiritual kids to grow up spiritually, but they haven't. Their growth has been stunted. And now that we're out of excuses for there is a period that you expect these crops to grow, these livestock to grow because you need to be moving them along. There is an expectation that by now you've had enough time. You've been fed enough. You should be growing. They should be taking responsibility. They should be into competent leadership and and, and servants and, and and demonstrating growth and maturity, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. They should well and truly be established on a solid diet of spiritual meat. But they're still stuck on meat, on, on, on milk. They fail to realise their potential. They're still stuck on baby formula. How tragic is that? And there is a contrast here, a very important distinction that I want you to see between milk and meat. Babies and adults, maturity and immaturity. That is what Paul is talking about, isn't it? That that spiritual babyhood that continues too long and that still requires milk instead instead of meat. In spiritual terms, what is milk? Well, the milk consists of evangelistic preaching the very basics of the gospel. Jesus loves me, this I know, but the Bible tells me so. You you go out there telling people how to become Christians, that is the milk. While meat is preaching that unfolds, teaching that unfolds the full riches, the the magnificence of the glorious riches of of the gospel so that people grow up. Christ died for my sins. That is milk. We died with Christ to sin. That is meat. Can you get the difference? When you, when you, when you rejoice, when you rejoice and and sing and praise God because of the hope of sharing the glory of God. That is milk. But when you learn to rejoice in your sufferings because you know that God is working in you, something in you, in your life that will, will bring Him glory through that and His carrying you through that process, that is meat. Sadly, it is my observation and many others would observe this, would agree that this is still the problem with the Christian church in the 21st century. 
fact, I would be accurate in saying that the problem in the 21st century is actually much worse than the church at Corinth. Why does it happen? Because people love to be babies, to be treated like babies, to be fed and cleaned and fussed over like babies. They like to play with their fluffy toys like babies. Continue to be fed by the fluffy preachers and teachers where the message is all about them. You can be this, you can be that. It's all about you and nothing about God. It's cute, isn't it? When babies are the centre of attention. But in the Christian life, it is tragic. It is tragic. So verses 3 and 4, the symptoms. You are still the worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Paul calls the Corinthian Christians sarkikois or people of the flesh or worldly. Their focus is on fleshly things rather than the spiritual things. The, the way it's displaying itself is their destructive behaviour toward each other. They're tearing each other apart. Now Paul addresses many other issues in, in, this, in his letters and that's why the letter of the Corinthians says you have first one and the second one and it's just so long. A lot of things to address. But here it appears that some of, one of the problems that some of the people at, at Corinth were aligned to Paul's way of preaching and teaching and others were aligning themselves to Apollos and his way of thinking and teaching and preaching. Some like Paul, some like Apollos. It's okay. You normally think, well, that's, that's fine. You have your own preferences. That's, that's okay. But no. Here the two groups were so fanatical that they weren't associating with each other. They didn't talk to each other. They couldn't get along. Now, I'm really certain of this, that, that neither Paul nor Apollos did anything to encourage this, this type of reaction from them. You know, it's not as if, you know, Paul stood up there and says, I am the greatest. You follow me. You be cool now. He didn't do that. And I'm sure that Apollos didn't do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had Paul's confidence in leading him there. But somehow, the way that they behaved is that we, you know, there was division and, and follow him, I follow them, I like this, I like that. And there was infighting about who was more influential, who was more powerful, more challenging as a teacher. 
the body was broken. The body was broken. Please understand that here Paul isn't worried about what kind of music the church uses for worship. He'll talk a little bit more about the issues of worship later on in other chapters. He's not worried about which saint to put on the stained glass window. He's not worried about that. Paul isn't worried about the colour of a carpet or the air conditioning system. Paul isn't even worried if the Corinthians can't fully explain the nature of the incarnation. And for 2,000 years we've been debating this stuff. Or the nature of the Trinity. No. Paul here is concerned with their unity. Or rather, their disunity, which is showing where their heart is. Because in other parts he talks, the maturity, it's, it's not so much about knowledge as well, because he will say it. Knowledge puffs up. It has a tendency to puff up. I know more than you. Here the maturity is linked to the heart. It is linked to the heart. It is a heart condition. We can tick all the doctrinal boxes and still remain immature. We can believe grace. We can sing about grace till the cows come home and still be ungracious people. As we looked in our series in Genesis, the fall of humanity not only meant separation from God, but one of the the tragic consequences is how people became separated from one another. Whereas God said that it was not good for man to be alone, He created the family. Now in sin, humanity has been thrown into isolation, individualism, competition for survival. The ego, where once humanity was one, because of Adam's sin, Humanity has been scattered and has been at war against itself ever since. But through Christ, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. He also brought peace and reconciliation to those who were reconciled within the church community. So we are no longer alienated from God and we are no longer alienated from each other. But we are one. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, we are one. There is no longer the rich and the poor, the young or the old. There is no longer the African or the South American or the Aussie, the white or the black. We are one. We are one in Christ. All these superficial arguments that you bring and you put forth and everything else, it's 
not there. It's not there. And that is why, as Ted shared with us from, from John's letter, it, it, it is hard to explain union with God when there is no union with the body of Christ. It is hard to speak of reconciliation with the Father when there is no reconciliation with one another. With one another. Yet this is the high calling from our Master. Verses 5 to 6, we have teamwork. What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I find it somewhat perplexing how in most competitive team sports there is always one or two players that people will pay tickets to go and watch. They don't pay money to go and watch the team. They go and pay money to watch these one or two players which happen to just happen to be part of a team. In Australian cricket, it's Warner or Smith. In international soccer, it's Messi or Ronaldo. Yes, great players, but they are part of a jolly team. Is anybody going to mention the team? Oh, they're just forever talking about Messi and Ronaldo. Guys, it's a team. It's a team sport. This is not tennis. Oh, that's right. We go and watch because out of nowhere there will be some individual magic moment of brilliance, some play, some manoeuvre that will just turn the game on its head and everybody will just stand and cheer and applaud and say, yes, there it is, I was there when it happened. Forget the team. But did you see the goal? Or did you see that shot? The moment when these players will just rise above the rest of the team and dazzle us with their God-given talent. That's what we're hanging out for. You know what we've done? I mean, the world, this is, nobody apologises for it. That's the way it is. Just accept it. We've just exalted the individual above the rest of the team. Another 10 players in the team. Oh, the rest of the team, they're just there to make up the numbers. You know, the goalie and the defenders and the midfielders. Just, just fill the numbers, guys. Just, just turn up, okay? Is that what happens in the church? Are we not servants of Christ? That is, a servant of Christ is the highest possible rank in the church. Did you know that? 
There is no need for competition or rivalry in any sense at all. This trend to elevate leaders and some leaders and pastors and ministers as being different or special with some direct phone line to God is never found in scriptures. It's not there. In scripture, all Christians are in ministry, everyone without exceptions. All are given the gifts of the Spirit to be used within the context of the church. All are expected to have a function, a service that God can use. This is why we're not in competition, but we are in cooperation with each other. In the church, there is no Golden Boot Award every year. There is no award for the best test player or one-day player. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Doing different things. But we need, we need both of them. We, we need the, the, the person that the watered, we need the person that planted. In the church, the evangelist plants, the Bible teacher keeps watering. Who is more important? Bible teaching or evangelizing? Paul's answer, neither. Neither important. God can actually do away with both of these if he wanted to. Let me explain it to you from nature if you don't believe me. You see a bird eating a fig? You ever see one? bird eats a fig tree from the fruit of the fig and he eats it. Figs have a lot of seeds and stuff on them. So the bird eats it, it's happy, then flies away somewhere else. The bird then does its business, opposite end from when it ate, from where it ate, okay. And wherever that business was done, you go back a few years later and voila, fig tree. Who planted that? Well, I didn't plant it. Happening. The bird. Who planted it? God. No need for planting or watering. God did it. Yes, we like to marvel at the importance of our so-called abilities. The important thing is not what any one of us can do but what God alone can do and sometimes he chooses to use us to do it. But it's him. It is him. He alone can take the truth and change lives with it because what I'm saying to you right now is probably in one ear or out the other. Gee, Paul's really got upset this morning, isn't he? Gee, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Only he can do that. None of us can do that. Only God opens the mind, changes the heart, makes people different. That is what we have to emphasise. 
let's not put, please, let's not put all our emphasis on methods and abilities and cleverness of our formula and blah, blah, blah. We still, when we do that, we're still emphasizing people, not the God who gives the increase. So we have established that only God can give the increase, but it's actually more than that. God can dispense with both the planter and the waterer, just like he does it all the time in nature. Prime example, another example is the the beautiful, luscious rainforest that sometimes like to wander through. Who planted that? He planted, he watered, he gave it the increase, the growth. It's him. And how beautiful it is. So the Word of God is putting all of us in our proper place, where we need to be. So when we ask who is more important, Paul or Apollos, it's probably the same as me asking today, Billy Graham or Ravi Zacharias, Don Carson or John Piper? The answer is none of them. They're all servants of God. However, however, when we ask who preaches the God-honouring truth, which Paul tackles in other letters, John MacArthur or Joel Osteen, Louis Palau or Benny Hinn, I do hope, I do hope that by this stage in your Christian growth and maturity that you are able to discern who is speaking the truth of God and who isn't. What is milk? Not even milk. It's watered down milk. Goodness gracious. And the other one's meat. I love meat. One purpose, verses 7 to 9. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded. Remember, we spoke about rewards for the last couple of weeks. And they will be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service You are God's field, God's building. While the Corinthians were distracted by focusing their attention on on Paul or Apollos, as if Paul or Apollos were some divine figures, they were losing focus on what it was all about, the kingdom. And Satan uses this all the time to distract us from our true purpose. That is why Paul refers to himself and Apollos as me servants. The word is diakonos, me household workers, slaves even, who perform ordinary duties in a house and they're expected to perform them. The cleaning, the washing, preparing, cooking, and all of that. That is kingdom work. Me servants. Now, a few years ago, a study was done by an agricultural school in Iowa, in the US. It was reported that to produce three and a half tons of corn from one acre of land, 
these are the things that it required to produce that much crop in the harvest. So this is what was required. You needed 4 million pounds. I'm sorry, I'm going to the imperial system here. 4 million pounds of water. 6,800 pounds of oxygen. 5,200 pounds of carbon. Ooh, carbon. It's actually good for nature. Go read about it. 160 pounds of nitrogen. 125 pounds of potassium. And 75 pounds of yellow sulphur. Plus the sea. In addition to these ingredients, rain and sunshine are required at all the right times. So, although many, many hours of labour from the farmer were required, the study found that only 5% of the produce, 5% of the produce could actually be attributed to the work of the farmer. So, out of 3,500 kilos of corn, only 175 kilos of the crop were actually due to the work of the farmer. However, it doesn't stop there. Once you add the God-given physical and mental ability of the farmer, whose heart is still ticking and his mind is still working, once you add the biological composition of the seed that he's able to produce, and it's, it's a wonderful how God designed it, then the, the, the total contribution of the farmer is reduced to zero. In fact, if it was possible, it would be reduced to even less than zero. Does that make you feel good? Are you feeling, you know, all pumped up and everything now? You know what? Fellow workers in God's service is what we are. No more. And we are part of the family of God, no less. The creator of the heavens and the earth who thought it worthwhile dying across to redeem us and to make us part of his family. We are to be labouring in God's field, waiting for the ultimate reward at the end of the harvest when the master decides to return. Until then, let's stay at it, working in the master's field. Amen.